everybody, welcome back to the Irish NFL show in partnership with Pundit Arena. Delighted to welcome back the usual gentleman to the show, but our special guest on this Wednesday night is none other than Lindsay Rhodes. Lindsay, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Lindsay, we asked this to anybody on the show, especially our counterparts in America. Have you any Irish heritage descent? I have like all of the, I'm like a mutt. So yes, though not notably. Not to the point where I'm like, you know, celebrating St. Patrick's Day like I own it. Though my son was born on St. Patrick's Day, so we kind of do celebrate it like we own it now for different reasons. Well, you'll uh, you'll have to to bring him to to visit Ireland uh, at some point in the in the future, given that he was born on on St. Patrick's Day. That would be quite a birthday celebration, right? I like think just so. do it up big. Wait yeah. till he can drink. Go have some Guinness on his birthday. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No. I think I think got to do that. We were talking to Paul Papst uh, on on St. Patrick's Day. He was telling us about JJ Watts' love of Guinness. So if you ever are talking to JJ, JJ can hook you up with the uh, the Guinness Factory tour, uh, the special Guinness Factory tour. Oh wow. Okay. But Lindsay, you've had a look at a stellar career covering uh, sports. Uh, you know the everything from the Olympics, the the league. You beat Scott Hansen in fantasy football. Yes, you now I have... did. Thank you for noting that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> High atop uh, the resume. And you now have your your own podcast. I suppose yeah. alongside beating uh, Scott in in fantasy <laughs> football, what are the other maybe standout moments for for you? Well, um, gosh, the I, I think probably the most pivotal and memorable um, part of my career, just because it was a pretty big pivot point for me, was um, covering the Beijing Olympics in 2008. Uh, it was at a point in my career where I had done regional broadcasting in Los Angeles for a while and, um, and uh, had the opportunity to work for NBC and go to China and cover the Olympics. And it felt like it was a really big kind of jumping point for me and, and a big uh, next challenge and a way to test myself. And, um, and so I actually had to get out of my contract that I was in at the time because they weren't going to let me do that in addition to. And so it was a big bet on myself type of moment where I was like, I think it'll be okay if I do this. And this is an opportunity. I feel like I can't pass it up. And so um, that ended up being just a life-changing moment for me in terms of being surrounded by people. All of a sudden, my colleagues were, you know, people at NBC that I'd only seen on TV and, and I'm working with people that I just had so much respect for. And it felt, uh, it felt like one of those moments where you're like, oh, so they're my, they're my colleagues now, you know, and I, and I felt like I could hang a little bit. Um, and so that was a really big point in my career and, a, and a, certainly a memorable working moment for me. And then I came back from the Olympics and actually started at NFL Network like days later um, as a freelancer. And then that turned into a 12-year gig there. So it all kind of ended up working out. But yeah, there have been a lot of really, the thing about sports is that, gosh, there's so many like cool moments, you know, and that's the one thing I would say I've, I've always been tapped into in my career. I've never gotten jaded by it all. Like, it's all still so awesome. And there's still such a big part of me that's like, I can't believe I get to talk to this person and I can't believe that I get to be here and that they let me in this position. And it all feels like such a big honor to, to kind of control the conversation or have the conversations in any way. And so, um, yeah, it's all, it's all still pretty cool. 
Lindsay, a long, a long time in NFL Network covering covering the sport that we all love, and obviously now you have your a very good podcast which you've all listened to. This week in particular, the last week, shall we say, the NFL. It's one of the busiest weeks of the year. Yes. Um, free agency. It's a free agency like no other because obviously the cap has been reduced mm-hmm. significantly in comparison to other years. Is there any standout moment over the past week? A player that signed for one team that you didn't see coming, or is there any particular team that you feel is really achieved so much in the past week okay so it all kind of like goes like this in my brain it's like mush right the um free agency stuff i'll tell you that i've i've really liked um what washington has done in free agency and i don't know that they've made like the big splash signing but i really liked at the wide receiver position this offseason i really liked curtis samuel so i know that kenny galladay was the number one wide receiver on the board and he certainly got the most money, got a lot of money. Holy cow, 18 million a year in this year. It just feels like a lot from the Giants. But um, but the but the one that I really liked was Curtis Samuel because of his versatility. I just think that, you know, married with the right offensive coordinator who can put him in the right situations, um, then they you can get a lot of usage out of him, you know? And I feel like you're seeing the league kind of go in that type of a direction. Like when Debo Samuel came out in the draft, um, it was like, is he, is he, what is he, you know, label himself? Is he a number one? Is he a number two? He's just a weapon. That's just all he is. They can use him as a running back for crying out loud. And Curtis Samuel is that style of player too. So I love that signing on a team that already has Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. And then I really liked the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing for a team that didn't have to go use all of their resources, you know, unload. I think, I think Ryan is a really good quarterback and he comes with drawbacks obviously in terms of the turnovers, but I think his strengths in terms of pushing the ball downfield and really taking those shots and opening up the offense and kind of being a gunslinger of sorts. I think that that puts your team in position to win, you know, you're going to be in a lot of games. It's none of this like dink and dunk that might not ever go anywhere and so I really like the William Jackson signing on the defensive side of the ball. I think that that puts them in a position where they can maybe take on some of those turnovers a little bit better because the D is just so solid that maybe they get a stop on the next possession. So I really like what Washington is building. Um, the Patriots, I think, probably to go back to your question as far as wow moments, the fact that the Patriots have signed players to such huge contracts like that first day, every Patriots announcement was a wow, uh, like an eye opener, because we're just not used to seeing them pay the kind of money that that they're paying this year. Like Nelson Aguilar getting the deal that he got, holy cow. And the fact that it's the Patriots that signed him to do that and not like a team like the Jaguars or somebody like that, like the Bengals, it's, you know, it's the Patriots are paying all of this money to build up their roster, but they're obviously in a position where they kind of had to um, restock the cupboard. And so I think, I think it's, I think it's been an interesting free agency pretty much across the board. Just, just sorry, Michael. Talking on the winners. I'm sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, I just know the Samuel one with Washington is very interesting because he, he has a relationship in place with Riverbelt Ron from their yes. time together in the Panthers. And uh, so, you know, he kind of can strike where the orange hot in terms of the season. He'd be used to that type of offense. He knows what, what he, what's expected of him. Yeah. And I mean, you had, you had Dak down there signing his big contract, like, you know, the week before or days before. 
saying very quickly, yes, we have the best team in the NFC East. And then just a couple days later and a few signings. And I don't think that that's the case, you know, just because Washington's defense is so good. So once you make these offensive signings, like, yes, Ryan Fitzpatrick's not a Dak Prescott, but I just think the offense as a whole will, will be comparable. And so um, I think that that'll be an interesting race there in the NFC East. And I kind of like Washington to win it. One team, Lindsay, that hasn't really done much in the last few weeks is the Packers seeing talk on Monday that they're trying to restructure Aaron Rodgers' contract. I wouldn't say that they're a loser in free agency, but is there any maybe teams that stand out to you as maybe ones that haven't done as well as others? Well, it's interesting you bring up the Packers because I talked to Michael Lombardi about this on my podcast this week. And um, because it stands out to me that... the moves that they've made in the last couple of years have been so interesting in that those draft picks from last year uh, with the Aaron Jones resigning, you know, Aaron, AJ Dillon, isn't going to be a feature back. He's going to be a two, you know, and so we'll see him and he'll be worked in, but not in the way I think that they probably anticipated when they used the draft capital that they did to bring him in. And then Jordan Love is sitting on the sideline and we're not going to get a chance to see him because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers again. And so why in the world would you want to do something there? Um, I, I think it's an interesting position for the front office to be in, right? Because the reason that they were so good last year, which makes them look like they're all geniuses is really just because Aaron Rodgers played out of his skull. So uh, it's not because the moves that they made last year. And in fact, you could make an argument down the stretch that they really could have used another wide receiver that maybe they should have gone and picked up Will Fuller at the trade deadline. They haven't been particularly active in free agency this year. And so um, if I'm a Packers fan, I'm kind of like waiting to see where this is all going. I wouldn't mind seeing some O-line depth after what happened in the NFC championship game. But Michael Lombardi brought up an interesting point that they could uh, trade Jordan Love because now they're going to have to restructure Aaron Rodgers' contract. And and that obviously puts them in a position where they're not going to be able to, um, uh you know, it puts them in a weird position as far as Jordan Love is concerned because they're not going to see him play. So they don't know whether to pick up their fifth year option on him. Probably can't do that. So he becomes expendable. So what can you get for a Jordan Love in a year where a lot of teams are looking for quarterbacks? And I think that that's something that he brought up that kind of feels like I could see something happening maybe this off season, just because there's so many desperate teams. So um, that'll be something that I'll be keeping my eye on. And maybe that's a way that they can salvage that draft pick, depending on what they get for him. Lindsay, one of the teams, I know you've discussed this on, on your podcast, but undergoing huge change is going to be the Saints. I mean, look, it's, it's a Drew Brees at the end of the era, but obviously in, in Capel, um, we've <laughs> joked on, on this show that, you know, if you are getting drafted this year, you want to get drafted by the Saints because chances are you'll, you'll start given, given the roster. What, what do you see the Saints doing, uh, you know, in terms of what they can do given the cap situation? it's a tough spot, you know? And so when you look at the cap situation and who they've had to cut in order to become cap compliant and then um, the the moves that they've had to make, obviously it's a, it's a good year to lose Drew Brees in the sense that it was obvious that Drew Brees didn't have it anymore, but it's a rough year to lose Drew Brees in that you have no cap and now you have to go out and get a quarterback and also rebuild the offense. So there's part of me that wonders if 
they don't have to go through a rebuilding year this year. Um, but then it's Sean Payton, you know, and if there's anybody who can kind of figure it out, I, I have faith in him doing that. Um, I do have faith in Jameis Winston for much the same reasons that I, what I talked about with regard to Ryan Fitzpatrick, I feel the same way about Jameis. So um, the, the flip side here is will the saints have that same defense, right. To take on some of the turnovers that he are inevitably going to come with Jameis Winston. Though I'm curious to see if, if maybe that's something that he can like rein in a little bit with Sean Payton's coaching and, and prioritizing that um, being drilled down. So I'm not totally sure what to expect from them because I, I just, I don't, there aren't the resources there to plug some of the holes that are there. And I suggested with uh, Catherine Terrell, who covers the team for the athletic when she was on my podcast, that maybe they would trade down because they have the 27th pick in the draft and maybe trade back and just pick up more draft capital and just try and bring in bodies, you know, um, like the Rams have, have done this a lot where they just pick up a lot of picks and then it's like sheer volume, you know, some of them are going to hit. And I kind of think that that might be a smart strategy for the saints this year. Um, to the point that you mentioned that there are going to be a lot of people that have a chance to start. And so uh, the more people that you can bring in, the better though. She suggested that's not been their approach in the past. And she's not totally sure that they'll change their approach based on circumstances. So it's hard to say. I think that that would probably be my prediction there just because they don't have any money and they have so many needs. And that defense that was so strong last year, Hendrickson has left for the Bengals. Rankins has gone to the Jets. So they're losing players already, but one player in the league that's had a lot of speculation over the past month. We were talking about the quarterback situation and so many teams needing a quarterback, but one who won't be leaving or doesn't look like he'd be leaving is Russell Wilson. There's been so much speculation about the relationship has broken down to a certain extent. He wants more say in terms of what's been put around him from, you know, for years on end. They haven't really put an offensive line in place to help him. And I think he's grown frustrated and there is talk maybe next year's year in which he'll, he'll move on. He has that release clause in his contract next year. What's your thoughts on the uh, the whole Seattle situation at the moment? It's just crazy that it got to this point. I'm, I'm still, I still find myself just in shock that we're even having this conversation because I mean, if like you listen to Russell Wilson and the way he talks and I'm like, he's a mini Pete Carroll the way he messages, the whole rah-rah thing, the the optimism, the constant optimism. Like, I will not accept your negative take. That's just not the way my my brain works. Like, I remember talking to Pete Carroll a lot of years back when he was coaching USC, when that book, The Secret, came out, and he was talking that up. Like, he's very big into that kind of stuff, that what you put out into the world is what will come back to you. And Russell is that guy, you know, to a T, from a quarterback standpoint, I've always thought that he was the perfect person to have in a Pete Carroll locker room because the message could kind of infiltrate, you know, throughout everybody was on the same page. And then to find out that they're totally not on the same page from an X's and O's standpoint and that Russell Wilson wants things to go completely differently. Um, I, I think it's, it's a dilemma because at this point in Pete Carroll's career, he's not going to move Russell Wilson 
unless he can get a quarterback in return. He's not trying to rebuild, you know, he's 69 years old. So how many years left does he have coaching and what's his best chance to put a roster together? I do think that there's a situation though, where if you could give him a quarterback that is good enough, I think that then he could implement what he wants to do on offense, which is predominantly control, control the ball, control the clock, like uh, hold on to the ball, essentially, like just don't turn it over. It's very risk averse. That leads to a lot of ground game um, and a heavy run pass ratio. And um, so I, I kind of wonder if you had like a Derek Carr or somebody like that, that could just do his job, run an offense, doesn't have to be flashy, doesn't have to be the guy that's going to like go make plays out of thin air. But if it's just somebody who can run the offense, then I wonder if that wouldn't actually be okay in a Pete Carroll uh, philosophy type system, build up the defense and then uh, run the offense that way. Um, I don't know that he needs the flashiest quarterback out there, which is why I think that Russell Wilson's so frustrated because he doesn't get a chance to show that he can be like a Patrick Mahomes or, you know, an Aaron Rodgers out there making all these flashy plays because Pete Carroll doesn't want him to do that. He doesn't think that that's the formula that wins football games um, based on the things that are important to him in terms of his philosophy. So I, I could see something happening only if it was exactly the right thing, I guess, you know, like this, this bears offer that we heard about uh, with the three first rounders and a third rounder and, and two players to be added. The thing that was missing there is a viable quarterback that can take Russell Wilson's place. So if somebody could come with a good deal that did involve a quarterback that Pete Carroll could plausibly plug into his system and he thought he could win games with him, then I, I could see him potentially making the move though the ideal scenario is to figure things out with Russell Wilson because he's so good and good quarterbacks like that don't come around very frequently. And uh, Greg Rosenthal of the around the NFL podcast suggested on my podcast that if it does come down to that, he thinks that the Seahawks should move on from Pete Carroll because regardless of what Pete Carroll's philosophies are, he's not going to be around for as long as Russell Wilson's career is likely to last in Seattle. So maybe you need to start thinking about what you're going to do past Pete Carroll and you want a franchise quarterback that you know you can count on to be there. Lindsay, you've mentioned a number of different people there, not just players, but, you know, personalities, TV personalities, coaches, players as well. Uh, does one interview that you've had over your career stand out? Does it does a certain guest stand out? And maybe why in in that sense because you know you're very you've been very fortunate to speak to a number of different people but does one stand out oh, these questions i'm so bad at because i have the worst memory um i don't remember anything like i don't remember anything i'm the last I, I could not write a book about my career because i can't remember most of it and i've told people there are legit famous people that when I've met them, I've had to go like, oh, it's nice to see you again. You know, that vague greeting um, because you don't want to offend them if you have met them before. But that I think I legitimately am like, I don't remember if I've actually met this person before or if I feel like I've met them before because I've talked about them so much. So it's super embarrassing. I My recall for those types of things um, are, are kind of awful. Um, I, you know, 
I mean, I've, I've had the chance to talk to Peyton Manning, um, who's one of my favorite football players of all time. And I remember getting so excited and nervous for that interview because all I wanted to do was make him like be funny. Like I wanted to just like t- toss up softballs so that he would be SNL Peyton Manning. And he was not feeling like being SNL Peyton Manning that day. He was super serious. And I think he probably had like a, who are you? Like, what's this chick? Like, why are you talking to me this way? He did not take any of the bait. And so I was so bummed afterwards because it was this super serious, like dry interview, like just a regular football interview. And all I wanted was like to have that moment with Peyton Manning, like pull that out of him and have him be funny and have it be because I, I made him be funny and, and that did not happen, but yeah, can't win them all. Well, hopefully you get a chance to to talk to Peyton again in the future. And, you know, he will be, um, you know, SNL Peyton because he, <laughs> he, can, he can be, um, as, as we so know. He's so funny, right? Yeah. Oh, no, he, he, he is. And uh, he has certainly, he's been in Ireland. He's he sang, uh, he plays golf. He's he's done impromptu sessions in, in pubs here. And uh, from, you know, he he's lots of quips, but we know that with Peyton. But, you know, you, I suppose one of the things that's interesting is, the see yourself Jane Slater the, the media has been diverse for some time and, and obviously mm-hmm. we now have Mina who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago um, but the best she's great she was she was brilliant with us but I suppose this year it feels like you know with Sarah Thomas and with the the coaches with the the box like BA came in and like you know diversity is a strength is this the the year where the rest of the league wakes up to the fact that diversity is a strength Um, I think that the league has already woken up to that fact. I think that it's just a matter of some of the women elevating through the ranks now so that, uh, what I think the ultimate thing that needs to happen is to have women at, in the rooms where like all of the high level conversations are happening. Right. And so the more that you see people like women kind of showing up in different ways is evidence that we're getting closer and closer to that being the case. Um, Cause one of the things that I found is that you run into fewer of what, what I've found as a woman in this industry is that I've worked with a lot of people who are well-intentioned and just, they don't, they don't pick up on the same things that you're picking up on. Like you hear the term microaggressions being used, you know, where race is concerned. A lot of times, if it's not on your radar because it doesn't offend you, you don't even know that the thing that's coming out is a subtly offensive, you know? And I've found that to be the case as a female in a male-dominated industry that sometimes really small things happen and you're like, like, you know, like like the the male host always saying hi, you know, and the female host always going second, you know, like little things like that happen. And they're things that if you are the female, that's always going second, you're really, really tuned in to the fact that I'm, I'm going second all the time. Is there a reason I'm going second all the time? You know? And I think that what ends up happening is that there are a lot of people who just don't even think about it. Like it just has always been that way that the man was always slated in to say hi. And so I'm just going to plug in the rundown today and the rundown is going to start with the man. It's going to go to the woman. You don't even think about it. It's literally just like, it's always been that way. And so if you don't have somebody there saying like, Hey, 
could we rethink that? Like, is there a reason? Might I say hi every once in a while? And so I think the more you have people who are just looking at the situation through a different prism that are involved in those conversations and in a position to maybe say like, hey, maybe that ad's not the best ad. Hey, maybe this approach should be this way. Then I think that it all kind of becomes more inclusive more quickly. But I think that we're definitely going there. And I think that, um, you know, I think that the more women that get opportunity, even if they're being placed in um, situations where like people are really concerned about whether or not people are like tokenism, right? Well, even if in a worst case scenario, there's tokenism taking place, it benefits the greater picture because those voices are now there, you know, the door is now opened. And so um, I think, I think we're getting there. I guess that's a long-winded way of saying we've got work to do, but we're getting there. Kinsey, the, the league announced this week that the draft is going to take place in Cleveland. Um, obviously, last year it was lockdown, but a sense of return to some kind of normality at last. And I imagine over the next few weeks on your podcast, you'll start to ramp up in terms of yeah. discussing, discussing yeah. the draft in particular. Is is a draft a night um, in the year that you kind of look forward to more so than other nights during the season? I love the draft. I love the draft. I love free agency. I loved this part of the year. Um, I am really big. Obviously, I didn't play football. So my love of the game comes from an information point, right? Like, it's not like I don't watch games and pull out X's and O's and things that I'm seeing that are, I mean, I, I do more more now than I did 20 years ago because I've done it so much and been around the game so much that certainly there are things that I see, but I realize that people who have played on a football team for a year uh, probably have a different set of eyes just because they've been in the trenches and done that than I do me specifically. Um, and so my, uh, the thing that I think I can bring to the table is information and a way to, uh, take on as much information as possible and then communicate that information and figure out which stories are important. And, and so I love that puzzle. I love putting it all together. And so the off season is a perfect way to do that really, because there's just so much information, you know, building a roster is, is it's information. It's, you know, put, it's putting a puzzle together and I'm a big games player too. So I kind of love all of the aspects of the off season. Obviously I love the football season too, but this feels like, okay, now, now this is a space where I can work that doesn't require me to be able to tell you whether or not an offensive lineman is good or not. Cause I don't freaking know. Like if I watch a game, I don't know if the offensive lineman is good, but at this time of year, I can process what other people are saying about those offensive linemen and then kind of plug them in and, um, and put the puzzle together. And I find that to be really, really fun. Lindsay, it's been great having you on the show, but just before we go, uh, could you maybe tell viewers in Ireland, UK and Europe about your podcast? So it's called the NFL Roadshow and you can get it wherever you get podcasts. And we just kind of talk about the news of the week, um, trying to process stuff that's going on um, in the season. It's, it's, it, what it's been for me is coming from a television space where you can have conversations for short bursts of time because television is a very timed out experience. Um, it's, it's been really fun to be able to dig into specific stories 
and to spend a lot of time and ask as many follow-up questions as I feel like are necessary and really get down to the nitty gritty and figure out, um, get to the point where I feel like I learned something every episode. And so I'm kind of nerdy like that. I like knowing as much information as I possibly can and really thoroughly understanding concepts. And so it's been fun for me to be able to reach out to all the different people in the industry that I respect and that kind of have different lanes, you know, like an analytics expert and then a former coach and then a former free agency, uh, a front office person. We had Thomas Dimitrov on recently and he talked about what it's like to be a general manager and then what it's like to be a general manager that's been fired. And so, um, you know, just kind of an opportunity to have all these different conversations. I had Mina on also. And that was a fun chance to talk to, you know, another person who's a female in this industry and kind of go over some of the various things that we've been through and shared experiences and um, shared perspectives. So it's, I guess, kind of all over the place. It's whatever I want it to be at a given time, but I'm, I'm having a lot of, a lot of fun. Well, it's, it's a great show and it really does kind of dig into those issues and it allows you the, the time and space, as you said, to get into it. And, uh, you know, I definitely would recommend uh, it to, to people. I um, just want to say, Lindsay, thank you for taking the time to chat to us today. We really appreciate it. And it's been uh, really good. Wish you continued success with your career. And maybe we can get you back on again uh, just before the season starts. Anytime, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Lindsay.